Our Old Testament reading is from Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, and you can find it on page 304 in the paper Bible. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, to say the words of the wise and, the, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The New Testament reading is from Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21, and you can find it on page 556 in the paper Bible. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Moses. I am Korean American. Uh, Pastor Steve Yang and I are not brothers. And no, uh, we are not from North Korea. He's from L.A. originally, and I'm from New York. Uh, I'm, I'm, currently, I serve as an interim pastor at Christ the King Dorchester. Uh, we covered your prayers. Pastor Logan actually, uh, years ago, helped plant Christ the King Dorchester and was sent out to plant Christ the King Jamaica Plain Roxbury. So this particular congregation uh, is near and dear to our hearts. And so we are grateful for you and what the Lord is doing in you and through you. Please continue to pray for your pastor. I know he's on vacation getting some much-needed rest and relaxation. Uh, we're in Ephesians 5, uh, 15 to 21 today. We're going to continue in the sermon series in Ephesians. Uh, all the congregations of Christ the King are going through it together. Um, I want to begin by sharing with you a story of one time that I badly screwed up and uh, needed wisdom. Uh, years ago, during my first year uh, as a past, uh, in full-time ministry at Christ the King Dorchester, I was just brought on staff full-time on my way pursuing ordination as a pastor in the denomination with our church. Uh, we were installing uh, a pastor of our congregation as an assistant pastor, and as I introduced him, I made a racially insensitive comment about him. Now, please hear me when I say that I did not you know, use the N-word. There wasn't any cursing or anything like that, but it was an inside joke between me and the pastor. We were really close. We were brothers, an inside joke between the staff. However, I made this racially insensitive comment that at the time I did not realize was racially insensitive. Months later, one of our elders confronted me in love and approached me and called me out on my mess and proceeded to tell me that his entire small group was angry with me and that they had been deeply offended by my mistakes, by this, my, my choice of words. So much so that one member had brought visitors to the church and that those visitors, after hearing my announcement, proceeded to leave. This story has a happy ending, by the way. I'm still hired by the church. Amen, somebody, okay? Okay, I didn't lose my job, okay? 
And so they left. Now, in, now, now there's, there, the happy ending is this. I, I, I ended up making a public confession of sin. I individually pursued those individuals that I offended. And I said I was sorry. I sought their forgiveness. I repented in front of the entire church. But I was embarrassed. I remember my pastor afterwards counseling me, praying with me and saying, Father, would you give this young man wisdom beyond his years? Because so you, cause you see, the problem in that particular scenario is that I lacked wisdom. I lacked wisdom. That's what I want to talk about today. Wisdom. Paul instructs the Ephesian church to walk in wisdom. It, you see, anybody who's been walking with the Lord Jesus for a bit of time, you know that in the day-to-day, every single day, in the major life moments, in the major life decisions, we are faced with the task of making choices. And in the background of all these choices is the question of how do we make choices? How do we make decisions? How do we live in a life in light of the commands of the scriptures to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in glad response to the gospel? You see, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, when the Lord saved me out of my mess and my sin, he gave me new affections. He gave me new desires. He revealed to me my brokenness. And what God does when he raises a life back from the dead is you start having new desires. You don't want to sin the way that you used to anymore. You don't want to go back to the way that you used to be. You, you put off the old self, you put on the new self. And life becomes increasingly more complex. And you are faced day to day with making decisions where out of a glad response to a heart that has been transformed by the gospel, that has been resurrected from the dead, naturally, you're going to want to live a life that is pleasing to God. And in order for us to live lives that are pleasing to God and that lead to life and bless Him, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Now, I know we went through an entire sermon series as a church couple years ago in the book of Proverbs, but if it shows up again, we need to submit to it. Amen, somebody, okay? I wish I had some help right there. Y'all can say amen, okay? I know we're Presbyterian, but just give me a little bit, okay? I need words of affirmation. I need some help, okay? Let me, let me, let me give you a definition of wisdom as we proceed into the text. This is my definition, and it, is, it comes from the scriptures. Let me, let, me, let me read this for you. Wisdom is demonstrating sound judgment sound knowledge, and sound decision-making in all things in a way that leads to life and brings honor to God. In other words, wisdom, somebody who has wisdom lives in, in a way that ultimately brings life, that leads to life not only for themselves but to others and brings honor and glory to God. Now, where do I get this? Well, it's from our Old Testament reading, right? Proverbs 1, 7 to 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. The fear of the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, in, the, in Proverbs, we see that there's this overarching theme that wisdom begins and ends with knowing God and loving God and that wisdom leads to life. In contrast, when you reject wisdom, the Bible calls that folly. You are embracing foolishness. And when you embrace foolishness, it leads to death. Wisdom leads to life, lead, uh, uh, rejecting wisdom leads to death. Why is that? Because when you reject wisdom, it means that you're not living a life that desires to obey God and is not in response to God, but actually you're living a life that obeys your sinful flesh. 
When you reject wisdom, you are saying yes to the flesh and no to God. You are saying yes to your sin and no to Jesus and what the scriptures teach. And, and, and here's the reality for us. We live in a complex world, don't we? Day to day, we're faced with decisions, choices that we need to make. We do not exactly live in a world that is setting, up, uh, setting us up for holiness, okay? You step out in the world, people aren't cheering for you to obey Jesus. In fact, everything about the Bible often contradicts the world's ideologies and the world's false idols and the world's false gods. And so for that, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. In our text today, Paul concludes this portion of his letter to the Ephesian church by instructing them to walk in wisdom with one another. As imitators of God, he instructs them first to walk in love. He then says, walk in the light. Light transforms, light exposes darkness. And finally, he says, you need to walk in wisdom. Now, remember the Ephesian Christians, they existed in a multiracial, multicultural, cross socioeconomic setting in a sprawling urban metropolis and they faced constant pressures. Not unlike Christians living in the United States today, living in Boston today. Constant pressures from the outside world to live in rebellion against God rather than being, living in submission to God. And so, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but that's precisely why Paul says you must walk in wisdom. Do not walk as the unwise, but walk as those who are wise. Wisdom, we need wisdom. As hearts transformed by the gospel, saved by the blood of the lamb, redeemed from our sin, we need wisdom to live a life that honors that same Jesus who died for us. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, wisdom. I got, here's the big idea. Here's what I want to a hammer home, nothing, nothing flashy, this is it. It's this, that those who know and love the Lord are called to walk in wisdom. Those who know and love the Lord are called to walk in wisdom. Every single one of us here, we're called to walk in wisdom. I'm a good Presbyterian today, so I got three points for you, okay? All right? Nothing flashy, it's three points, it's this. Paul says that as people who are to exercise wisdom, number one, we are to spend our time wisely. Spend our time wisely. Number two, we are to seek to understand God's will. And finally, number three, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to spend our time wisely. We're to seek to understand God's will. And we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that first point. We are to spend our time wisely. Would you read verses 15 to 16 with me? Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now let's stop right there. Now Paul he says Christians are to make the best use of their time. That's what it says in the text, right? Because the days are evil. Now, what's Paul talking about? Is he talking, is he anti-procrastination? Is he saying that if you procrastinate, if you're not good at managing your time, that, that, that you're in sin? No, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Although you should pursue to be better managers of your time because time is a gift, amen. But Paul, what Paul is saying in the Greek, in the original text, this phrase, make the best use of the time, actually means to redeem or to buy back time. So a literal translation of this verse would be, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, buying back the time because the days are evil. Now, what, what's Paul talking about here? What does he mean by the days are evil? Right, is he talking about time? Well, here's what Paul's saying. This is the reality for the Ephesian Christians. Let me paint this picture for you. One of the ever-present temptations 
that these brothers and sisters in the faith faced on a regular basis were the religious cults of the day. There were different competing religions, just like that's our reality today. That was our reality back then for these Christians. Constant competitions for their faith and their affections. There were different religious cults, and one of the prominent religious cults of the, back, of the day was the cult of Dionysus, the Greek god. Let me, write, let me read for you what, I, uh, what, what, what one scholar writes about the Dionysian cult. The festivals celebrated in honor of Dionysus varied from place to place, but it seems that one common feature was the emphasis on fertility and sex. The emphasis on the male sex organ in the so-called phallus procession along with such things as the phallus song certainly indicate the lewd debauchery connected with this worship. Another feature of the festivals was the wild, frenzied dancing and uncontrolled ravings in connection with wine drinking and the music of flutes, cymbals, drums, tambourines. Along with this was the mountain dancing of the women, which sometimes took place in the dead of winter and the devouring of the raw flesh of animals. You see, the Dionysian cult was marked by orgies, raves, drunkenness, debauchery, lewdness, absolute rebellion against the word of God. And this is what Paul was talking about when he said the days were evil. This is what I believe, that this is what Paul's gotten in the background of his mind. He's, remember, he's addressing a specific people. The Bible's not primarily about us, but it's about God, right? And there's a specific context that he's addressing. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's directly addressing the religious cults of the day. And you see, the, the approach that non-Christians approached their days was in an extremely self-centered, self-indulgent, short-sighted manner, where each day, the task of each day was to please the flesh, live for the moment, YOLO somebody, right? Y'all know what that means, right? You only live once, okay? It's that Drake ministry, okay? Every day was about me, me, me. And so let's fill our times and our moments and our days with, with ways to please the flesh. And so in light of that, he encourages Ephesian Christians to be wise. Don't be like the unbelievers. Rather, redeem your time. Take back from the devil what is rightfully God's. Buy back the time. Instead of living for the flesh, instead of living in a way that pleases the flesh and appeases the, 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 the sinful habits, he says, rather, live for the sake of the honor of God. Live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Consider, brothers and sisters, then, the world that we live in. How many of y'all struggle day to day? Right? Oh, amen. Y'all are way more honest than my church. <laughs> Nobody raises their hands. Nobody even talks back to me there, too. <laughs> Liars. Consider the world that we live in. We struggle, don't we? There are things. There are there are activities, there are things that compete for our time every single day that beckon for our attention, that just says, come, fill your time with me. And so the task then, brothers and sisters, for all Christians is for us to exercise wisdom, to exercise wisdom in how we live. Brothers and sisters, we have to consider what does it look like to live out our days in a redemptive manner? What does it look like for us to pursue every moment of life with intentionality and purpose? And so here's some di diagnostic questions, okay? What is it that you give the most of your time to? 
Take a look at your schedule. Take a look at your calendar. Bring that up. What is it that you devote most of your time to? How is it that you are spending your days? You know, one of the issues that our people have at Christ Seeking Dorchester, part, part of their problems is they're doing too much, right? Busyness somebody, right? Anybody struggle with that? Just overpacked, overscheduled, right? They're, they're, and, and one of our idols at our church is productivity. It's having stuff to do and feeling like this validates our existence. What is it that you give your time to? Are you being wise in the workplace? Are you living your life? Are you spending the majority of your time at work in a redeeming manner? Or are you slacking off, right? Are you bringing honor to God in how you redeem your time? Are you spending your time in a way that leads to life and honors the Lord? What about recreational time, right? Is it like 24 hours, you know, Netflix and chill sessions? Right? Are you just binging, 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 whatever? Right? You know, I think there's places for that occasionally. But if that's all you do, listen, the Sabbath was not made for football, believe it or not. You know? But you get this one day of the week completely off, dedicated to the Lord. How are you spending your Sabbath? How are you spending your time off? Are you filling yourself? Are you, are you, are you spending these times and days just to please the flesh and to, 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 to make you feel good? Or are you choosing activities? Are you being intentional with your time so that the things that you do lead to life and bring honor to God? How are you spending your days? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we need to approach each day with the hope of redeeming our time. Our lives were bought back from the grave with the blood of the Lamb. So now we get to buy back time and we get to live our lives in a redemptive manner. Amen, somebody. It gives us purpose this leads me to my second point. Not only as Christians are we to approach each day with the hopes of spending time wisely, of redeeming our time, but number two, we are also to seek to understand God's will. Read verse 17 with me. Paul writes, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul not only says we're to spend our time wisely, but we are to seek to understand God's will. Now, what's Paul saying here? Is Paul saying that treat God like a magic eight ball and try to discern every single thing that you are supposed to do at every moment in life? Is that the will of God? Paul's not talking specifically about the secret will of God, meaning God's specific plans and specific decrees, the things that he has. You know that every single one of our moments have been ordered out already. That everything that's about to go down, even a few moments from now, God has ordained and decreed. And that's the secret will of God. But that's not what Paul's talking about here, right? What's Paul talking about? Well, this is what Paul is saying to the Ephesian Christians. Brothers and sisters, though your life has been transformed, though you have been bought back from the dead by the blood of Jesus, though you've been exposed by the truth, though you have been saved from sin, still... Still, and hopefully somebody in here can re relate to this, still remnants of your old self remain. There is still a war inside of us that is waging between the flesh and the spirit that the Bible says. Right? Where though we are instructed to put on the new self, and yet so badly we want to put on the old self, don't we? We want to fit into clothes that are not meant for us to be fit into anymore. And so in the day-to-day, Though you know that you need, that you are commanded to live a life that is pleasing to God, that honors God, yet there's always the temptation to embrace folly, isn't there? There's always the temptation to reject wisdom. There's always the temptation to feed the flesh 
rather than be filled with God. Now, Paul gets it, okay? Paul understands. Listen, if you're an Ephesian Christian, think about the, 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 the context that you live in, right? Everybody's getting drunk, having sex with whoever they want, and that's what they call worship, okay? That's worship. And meanwhile, the Bible says, like Christianity says, you're sinful, you're broken, you're messed up, you can't save yourself. And actually, what the Bible calls you to, what Christ calls you to, is die to yourself. Not feed your flesh, but actually die to your flesh. That you've been given a new spirit, a new life. Meanwhile, everybody around you is just going wild, okay? Just feeding the flesh, doing whatever they want. If you were a Ephesian Christian, would you not, at least for a moment, be tempted? Or is that just me? I'm the only sinner in here, okay? Amen? All right. That's okay. Right? But just consider that that's all they saw and that's all they were exposed to. But Paul says this, be wise. Be wise. Reject foolishness. Reject folly. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And what he's saying is this, understand in every moment, what is it that pleases God? What is it in this moment when I'm faced with an opportunity to sin, what is it that would face God, that would please God and bring honor to him? What is it that would lead to life? You see, brothers and sisters, seeking to understand God's will, it's not so much about understanding exactly what God wants, but it's about in every given moment thinking about what, how he wants you to live. What is it that he wants you? It's not, it's not about what you do. It's about how you do what you do. It's about the heart motive. Are you, are, you, are you seeking to please him and honor him? Or are you seeking to feed the flesh and just do whatever feels good? That's the, that's the day and age that we live in. We, we do whatever we want, don't we? Right? It's all about you can be whoever you want to be, regardless of how God made you. You can do whatever you want to do. If it makes you feel good, do it. That's the ideology of our day. But the Bible instructs us to walk in wisdom. And walking in wisdom means discerning the will of God. And discerning the will of God means approaching the day-to-day and every major life decision with asking, is what I'm about to do going to lead to life? Or is it, and is it going to bring glory to God's name? Or is it actually going to go down a spiraling path of sin and destruction and lead to death and devastation for everyone around me, including myself? And is it going to shame the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's a diagnostic question, brothers and sisters, for you and for me. How do you approach life in the day-to-day? When you, and when it comes to disciplining your kids, when it, when, when, when it comes to uh, you know, working, when it comes to interacting with your spouse, in the moments where you are sinned against by your spouse, which happens about every 15 minutes in my household, okay? How do you approach each decision? How do you approach how you live? Is it a biblically informed, prayer-soaked, Holy Spirit-dependent decision? Is that how you live? Informed by the scriptures, or do you go just based on how you feel? Is it all about doing what makes you feel good? Listen, if every single person did whatever they felt like doing, do you think any of us would be married? Amen, somebody? Nothing? Listen. (laughs) With my wife, okay, we've been married for five years now, this July, 
It's dry in a few weeks, actually. Have mercy today, God. Um, I'm going to get flack for that later if she listens to this. With my wife and I, I love her to death. She loves me to death. We are in covenant with one another. But trust me when I say that there have been moments where she has wanted to strangle me. And I don't blame her. Right? If we based everything, every decision based on purely how we felt, do you think my wife and I would still be married? No. Do you think I would still be a pastor? Definitely not. Right? (laughs) If people did everything based purely on how they felt, their gut instincts, rather than seeking the scriptures, seeking the Holy Spirit, being soaked in prayer, if everyone did according to their own desires, it would be a disaster, devastation, destruction. And that's why Paul instructs the church to walk in wisdom. Let me give you another example. In my time in Boston, one of the things that I've noticed in this culture is just the ever transient nature of the city. People constantly, and I've got friends who they may be a part of an amazing church. I know people like this. They may be a part of an amazing community, you know, and they may be part of, of, of a, a godly relationships where they're being discipled and they're, they're pouring into the community and people are getting saved. They may be a part of an amazing church community. They found, they, they're living out kingdom values and suddenly, suddenly they're like, oh, but we kind of want a, a house with a bigger yard. Or I got a job offer that pays me $50,000 more, even though right now I'm getting paid 100 and that's not enough. Some of you are like, I'd love, to, I'd love to make 50K. I'm right there. <laughs> right? If we just, and so they forsake godly kingdom values for the sake, because they feel like, I just, I just want more. That's just, that's just the life I always wanted. And what would it look like if we walked in wisdom instead, instead of relying on our own emotions? and what our perceptions are of what the good life is? What if we walked in a light, in a way that was pleasing to the Lord? That's why Paul says walk in wisdom. Those who walk in wisdom seek to understand what God's will is, not his secret will, but what it is. How does he want us to approach the day-to-day major life decisions? And it's simple, really in a way that brings glory to his name and that leads to life. That's what it means to walk in wisdom. Brothers, sisters, I know this is an elementary application, but this is why it's so important for, for Christians to be spending time regularly studying the Bible, praying, because it's in the word of God where we receive instruction on how we then shall live in light of the gospel. It's through prayer that he realigns our hearts and desires with him. Do not forsake time with the Lord. Treasure that. It is where he reveals himself powerfully to you. So Christians are to seek to understand the Lord's will. And this leads me to my last point. It's this, that not only are we to spend our time wisely and to seek to understand the will of God, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Read verses 18 to 21 with me. Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, when you first read this passage, you might ask, why does Paul single out getting drunk with wine as something wise Christians ought to avoid? Does Paul have beef against alcohol, right? Well, no, we know he doesn't. In fact, in other parts of Scripture, he actually instructs the drinking of wine because it's good for you, okay? What's Paul talking about? Well, he, do, he says that. I'm just, re, I'm just quoting the text, brothers and sisters, right? It's good for your body. Man, y'all are weird. Um, <laughs> nobody laughed at my church when I said that. Um, they, just, they just nodded their heads, amen. Um, well, why does Paul talk specifically about drunkenness? Well, here's why. Remember in the beginning, I talked about the cult of Dionysus, the Dionysian cult. And one of the marks of the Dionysian cult was not just rampant sex, but rampant drunkenness and drinking of wine, okay? Let me read for you again uh, what, and this is what, by the way, this was their worship service. This is what they did with worship, in worship. Like, they would gather around the temple, and they would get drunk, and just debauchery. Let me read what, what scholar says. Let me, let, me read for the, let me read for you how they partook in drunkenness. This is, why the, this is the role of drinking that played in, in, in this cult. The purpose of the intoxication by wine and also the chewing of ivy as well as the eating of raw animal flesh, listen carefully, was to have Dionysus enter the body of the worshiper and fill him with enthusiasm or the spirit of the God. Dionysus was to possess and control such ones so that they were united with him and partook of his strength, wisdom, and abilities. So in other words, worshipers of Dionysus, they believed that the more they drank, the, 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 the more they were being filled with his spirit, the spirit of the God, and then they would actually grow in wisdom and strength and his abilities. Now, here's the thing. Do you know what drinking a lot of wine does? Does it make you strong and wise and able? Listen, this is what, let me tell you what happens when you drink a lot of wine. If, you, if you've never experienced it, this is what happens, okay? Number one, it makes you weak. Number two, logic goes out the window. Number three, it impairs your judgment. You're not yourself. And number four, if you're Asian, there's a high chance that you turn red, okay? That's, that's a fact. That's the grace of God on my people. Now listen, does that sound like you're being filled with the spirit of a strong, wise God? No, absolutely not. Definitely not, right? Instead, Paul says this, if you want to be one with God, if you want to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you want to be one with the Lord, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. Don't get yourself drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. You see, being filled with the Spirit is the opposite of drunkenness. Amen, somebody. When the Holy Spirit comes and makes you alive in Jesus Christ and he fills you with himself and he begins producing fruit in you, this is what happens. Galatians 5, Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Amen, somebody. That's what the Spirit of God does. When you're filled with the Spirit, God makes you more and more like Jesus. And here's the good news, brothers and sisters, that the Holy Spirit and his power is the most unleashed when the people of God gather in the name of Jesus. If you want to see the Spirit of God do some stuff, worship him.
Listen, I know we're Presbyterians. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit too, too often, okay? But understand this. When we gather in the name of Jesus, the Spirit of God is present. And there is a filling of the Holy Spirit that happens where all of a sudden you might have had a horrible week. Listen, you might be, about, you might be looking for a job. Your marriage might be a wreck. You might be about to get evicted, right? You are a mess at work. You hate your coworkers. Your kids are driving you nuts. Your spouse is driving you even more nuts. Everything might be falling apart. But somehow, some way, when you walk into this, through these doors and you gather in the name of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and he fills you. Suddenly, sin looks less enticing. The things of this world become less appealing and Jesus looks all the more beautiful. Amen? How many of y'all can testify to that? Listen, I've had weeks, I've had weeks, and this is as a pastor, where I do not want to go to church, that I don't want to be with anybody, that I want to indulge in my own sin, and yet the moment I step foot into the presence of God with his people, the Spirit of God falls fresh, convicts me of my selfishness, convicts us of our self-centeredness, and points us to Jesus together. That's why, brothers and sisters, you ought to make a priority worshiping with one another, of gathering with the people of God. Listen, the most frustrating thing I've heard at my church are from people who say that they don't need to come to church, that they can just stay home, turn on a sermon, and they're going to be filled with the Spirit. That is not biblical. You cannot be a Christian in isolation. Amen, somebody. To be a Christian means to be a part of the body. And it's, to the, it's, it's in the body that the Spirit of God works and fills fills with himself. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, bring your behind to church on Sundays. Gather with the people of God regularly. Address one another in psalms, hymns, and, hymns and spiritual songs. Make melody to the Lord with your God. Understand that there is a spiritual act that is happening. Every time you sing and lift your hearts to the Lord, you are being filled with the Spirit. Lift your hands, lift your hearts, worship him. As you do, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question, brothers and sisters, is this. What are you being filled with? You know, it may not be wine. It may not be any sort of substance, right? But what is it that you fill yourself with constantly? What are you consuming? All of us consume something, don't we? Right? It doesn't have to be something material. Uh, it may be food, may not be. But what is it, Right? What is it that you fill your mind with, your time with, your soul with? Instead, Paul says, wise people are filled with the Spirit. They don't follow the tides of this world. They don't give into the flesh. They don't please their bodies. Rather, they please the Spirit that dwells within them. Now, here's the reality, and I'm going to close right here. We constantly mess this thing up, don't we? How many of you embrace wisdom perfectly every day? Raise your hand. Good, no liars in here, amen. At our church, some of the kids would be like raising their hands up, like, yeah, me. Here's the reality, right? You and I both know that we actually do cave in some temptation regularly, don't we? That we often actually, sometimes it feels like the flesh is stronger than the spirit. And instead of living in glad obedience to the gospel and in glad obedience to the word of God, we mess up and we fall over and over again. You might listen to the sermon, right? And, and, and you might think, man, like, I have not measured up this week. And that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? 
That's the beauty of the good news of Jesus. That the same God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same God who by his spirit resurrects you and gives you new life. And not only are you completely forgiven, and so you can have confidence when you enter into the throne of grace, you can draw near with confidence, but you can be secured that the same God, the same Jesus who secured your justification has also secured your sanctification. Meaning, he has committed to making you holy. And so he will continue to grow you in wisdom. Amen? Listen, you, you may have had a horrible week this week, but God is committed to growing you in holiness and pursuing your sanctification. Here's how the Lord does this. Here's the first way. Through experience. Often, the moments where I have gained the most wisdom have been through my failures, especially in the moments where I have sinned and mungled things up badly. And even those moments where I mess things up so badly and they seem irredeemable, God uses to purify me, to make me more like Jesus, and to make me wiser. That's the story of the gospel, isn't it? Where he takes the weak, he takes the broken, and he makes them new. And God does that over and over daily again. Trust me when I say that even in the moments where you have messed up this week, God is making you wiser by his spirit. Amen? You can be assured of that because he loves you. He's committed to you. He's committed to his glory, making you more and more like him. Here's the second way. The second way that we grow in wisdom is when we ask. Right? Let me read James 1, 5 to 6 for you. This is what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given to him. The good news is that for those of us who are young and immature and who lack wisdom, the same God who generously, freely offers us Christ in the gospel is the same God who generously gives us wisdom and he makes us wise. He makes us wise. One of the things that we pray for regularly as a church um, is that God would give our elders wisdom beyond our years. And in this particular season in the life of the church, there's been crazy banana things going on. I'm talking about Christ the King Dorchester, okay? There, there are things happening on a wider church level that we are wrestling with as elders. You know, many of you know the, the sexual abuse, misconduct, and, uh, you know, case that, that our elders are working through, and, and we're seeking the Lord. And in our own congregation, we're going through a lot of transitions. We're looking for a new pastor, and it's kind of awkward because I'm an internal candidate, right? So we're working through that as well. Uh, there's been a lot of hard stuff that's just been popping up as a church in the life of our church. And so one of the things that we've been praying for is we have been asking God for wisdom beyond our years. Listen, I don't know too much of what's going on at Christ Thinking Jamaica Plain Roxbury, but I imagine that because you are sinners— that you need wisdom too, amen? Every time the people of God gather, they find a way to hurt each other. They find a way to mess things up because that's what the people of God do, right? That's what we do. We, that, that's, we're, we're, we're so, we so embrace folly, don't we? Instead of embracing the spirit, we often feed our flesh. And so here's what I want to say. Please, on behalf of your own church, pray for wisdom. Pray that the same God who freely offers himself in the gospel would also give you what he needs, give you what you need, rather, to be filled with the Spirit and to be wise so that the body continues to be built up, that his name goes forth, that the gospel goes forth, the kingdom is advanced, 
and Jesus is glorified. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. I pray, Father, for Christ the King, Jamaica Plain, Roxbury. Oh, would you fill them with your spirit? Would you make this church continue to build them up in wisdom? Would we walk as not those who are unwise, but as wise? Give us wisdom that we might live lives in glad response to the gospel, in glad response to the one who has freely given it all so that we might be one with him, that we might have union with Christ that we might be changed, that we might live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. And even as we approach the table in just a few moments, uh, this is one of the ways where we're filled with your spirit, where we are filled with you, where we are filling our things with the things of God. And so would you feed us, would you nourish us, would you meet us for the sake of your name? We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.